Right now, you should be in Luke 4, verse 28. I'm just going to pray, and I need you to pray with me. I need you guys to get into the Word this morning. I've been studying this out, and, and I just I anticipate that we need prayer this morning. So, Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that you would take this time that we have set aside to study your word, to apply it to our lives, and to let you do work, that, Lord, it would truly bear fruit, that there, Lord, would be weeds eradicated from the garden of our heart, from the soil, Lord, of our soul, that there would be more room for growth, that there would be things that are preventing growth and fruit and love, things taken out, that if there be blinders, Lord, or blockers, or anything in the way in Jesus' name, that they would be removed, that they would be quieted, that they would leave, and that we would find ourselves walking in fullness and fruitfulness. I pray for the men and the women that are gathered here that are watching online, Lord, that are checking in later at the 6 p.m. or the 11, that you, Lord, would do a mighty work. And we do pray also, Lord, in anticipation. We, we pray, Lord, for the blessing of the fleet today, that it would be rich, it would be honoring to you, Lord, be encouraging to families, and it would be fruitful to the fleet. We thank you, Lord, for Newport, for Lincoln County. We ask your blessing and mercy here. You've already extended it, and so we worship you for it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 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 Well, I'll tell you what, look at verse 28 with me. This is Jesus, if you would, at least according to the Gospel of Luke, his first day on the job. He'd been baptized by his elder cousin, John, tested in the wilderness for 40 days without food, resisting temptation, how? By the word of God. And he rose from that victorious... And instead of going to the Radisson, to the Ramada, to a little R&R, he went right to the synagogue and began to teach, began to look for people to share. And he walked into that synagogue there on that day, asked for the book, we studied it last week, and he read out of Isaiah 61, and then he sat down and said, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your presence. Isaiah 61, that I am here, sent by the Lord to set the captives free, to heal the brokenhearted, to deliver those who are impoverished, to minister and proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And he sat down. And when he sat down, everyone was mind blown. Did you hear what he said? And they asked him to prove it. They're like, come on, man, just do, do one magic trick so we can trust you. Just do one little hocus pocus. We heard you did stuff in Capernaum, bro. And Jesus then spoke about how God doesn't work that way. I've given to you the truth. I've quoted the word. I've stood upon it. And he began to use these illustrations from Elijah and Elisha. And they got so mad at him that they rose up and grabbed him by his collar, by his SBC hoodie robe. And they took him outside. And they tried to throw him off the cliff there in Nazareth. This is his first day at work. Again, I don't know how your first day at work went. You know, you know it's always, try, you know, put your resume in. You got the job. You're like, I'm nervous. I'm nervous. Hope they don't try and push me off a cliff, you know. <laughs> Most of us don't, it doesn't get that extreme. But for Jesus, it did. I want you to look at verse 28. We're going to try and just get a running start and get right into it. So all those in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath. And they rose up and thrust him out of the city, and they led him to the brow of the hill on which their city was built, that they might throw him down over the cliff, and then passing through the midst of them, he went his way. And this is where we stopped last week, and I need to just kind of pick up where we're going so you kind of get the context. Did you know that when the word of God is preached, that it has an impact on every single listener, for good or for bad, one way or the other, it is impacting on everybody. There are those who are here today who maybe it impacted you in the way that you're excited, you're eager, you're wanting more, and you would think, well, other people heard it and just rejected it and moved on. It didn't really impact them, but that's not true. The Word of God impacts people of one of two ways, good or bad. 
Just like when the sun comes out. When it comes out here in Newport, we all get sunburned, okay? Just instantaneous. No, I'm just kidding. But when the sun comes out, it, it has different varying effects. The same sun doesn't even have to change. It's just the sun. And it has different effects. As a matter of fact, on a piece of clay, it'll cause that soft, pliable clay to harden, to firm, and ultimately to crack and to be brittle. That same sun, not even changing its disposition, will cause hardened ice, the thickest device, to melt to become pliable and liquid and usable. The same sun has two different effects. Here, Jesus preaches the word, and people are, ah, they freak out. Yet, when you and I or others hear the word of God, oh, it's music to our ears. The sun, the word, the word of God. The real trick, then, is to let the word of God have a good, healthy, positive impact on your life and produce growth. I remember a couple years ago at family camp, which, by the way, family camp is being arrested this year. We're not doing family camp. We're going to do some beach days, um, all-day beach days at Otter Rock and other beaches where we go there from 12 till closing. Do they close the beach? 12 till sun sunset and all that and with music and baptism. So be that as it may. I remember family camp one year. There's another announcement I snuck in there. And I woke up, and all the flowers were closed there in the field. And then the sun came up, and they all turned. I, I saw them turn. It was a real slow morning. They all turned and opened up slowly to the sun. I saw the whole thing happen. It was like a, like a film. I saw them opening up, and as the sun and its trajectory throughout the day, the flowers opened up, turned, and followed the sun. They loved what it was doing to them. They loved it. Did you know that if you go to a big old rock, though, and pull it up, you're going to see all kinds of critters and creatures under there? And as soon as they see the same sun, what do they do? Man, they disappear where do they go? They're in your pant legs, you know? They're, they're hiding and woo, they're gone. They're looking for the darkness. Same sun, different reaction. I just encourage you. The, these folks heard the word. Jesus Christ, the best preacher in the world, preached a sermon, sat down, and they reacted like the critters. They wanted the darkness. They reacted like the clay, hardened in hearts, not wanting to receive what Christ had given to them. And I would just challenge you and warn me that that is not the right reaction. As a matter of fact, yesterday we had a lot of applause. We were in the parade yesterday, the Loyalty Days Parade. We had our bus and the bus of God, Larry's bus, and our van and trailer and the 57 Chevy and a bunch of people and Jesus is real shirts and everyone was fired up. But I did come to this one group, friends and people, and as soon as they saw us and me, they began to chant kind of contrary slogans, at least towards me. And I just thought to myself, what would, in, what would inspire somebody to do that, to push back on something? Jesus is real, so my shirt said. There's really nothing that offensive about it, really. But here's what it says in Romans chapter 1. I'll read it to you. It says, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful. I read that last night a couple times. What? There are people that know there's a God, but they don't honor him as God, and they're not grateful. As a matter of fact, this, this slogan that these people were chanting back at me as I just waved, I was waving. This, it was a really it was an interesting slogan. I didn't have time to dialogue. They were just yelling this, one word, science. And I was like, yeah, I'm, I like science. I have no problems with science. I think, you know, and I, I was processing this. And so I just said, happy loyalty days and drove off. <laughs> I'm thankful for science because I think science shows the, the, the crazy depth of our creative God, the absolute in, insanity, capital I, the, the high-level insanity of the, the miracle of our God to create things the way he did. 
And when I study science and I see discoveries and I see things coming together and I see medical advances, I think, wow, and we're, and we're dumb. This, we've discovered this and we don't even know what's going on. Like, God is so good. Here's the point. This, this verse in Romans. They knew God, but they didn't glorify him as God, nor were they thankful and became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened, professing to be wise, they've become fools. And it goes on. This was Paul 2,000 years ago looking at the communities around him that had advanced in their knowledge base and what they had come to believe. And instead of being thankful, really simple. Isn't it fun to just be thankful? Here's the opposite scenario. Jesus stands up and teaches, says, I'm going to set the captives free. I'm going to heal the blind. Today, the scripture is being fulfilled. In the past, you guys missed it. You're going to miss it again, but I'm here right now. <gasps> oh, my goodness. Can we honor him as God? Can we be thankful for what's happening? Can we receive this? Instead, they <laughs> freaked out and grabbed him. And my point is, we have to be careful how we process the word of God in the ministry of Jesus, lest our hearts become darkened and we become futile in our thinking. It says in verse 30, it says, then passing through the midst of them, he went his way. I ended on this verse last week, and I said, this is the only miracle he performed there that day for them, is he disappeared without being able to be killed. He just disappeared. I listened to a couple teachers preach this sermon. A couple of them mentioned that he must have just kind of looked really stern and just walked right through them like a knife through butter. Like they let go of him. I don't know if they would have let go of him. The stuff he was saying in a, in a rejecting way was worthy of killing, at least in the Jewish custom. There in Nazareth, you can get away with crazy stuff like that. I think he disappeared. The Bible says that Christ will labor long with you, but he will not labor forever. He will labor so long. Has the Lord labored long with you and your rebellion, your sinfulness, and your weirdness? He has for me. But there is a moment where the Lord will say, hey, you really don't want me? You don't have any time for me? You're not thankful to me? You're not going to be appreciative or learn of me? Are you sure? Are you sure? I gave you a sunrise. I gave you a couple. I gave you a couple thousand. I gave you some rainbows. I gave you some flowers. I gave you modern medicine and technology and science. I gave it all to you. And we thumb the nose at Jesus, and he will pass through. It's amazing to me that we who are created look to the creator and deem ourselves as superior. It is absolutely mind-blowing. Most of us in here are aware of sin. Sin's a bad deal. Sin, sin will mess you up. And we have all our pet sins and our sins that we think of and sins that you see other people do that are really bad. And when other people do your sins, man, it looks so bad. When they do my sin, it's like, oh, my gosh. You know, and listen, one of the worst sins, and if not the father of all sins, is pride. Pride. It's the sneakiest. It's the slipperiest. It's the, it's the weirdest. Pride. Because pride leads to rebellion, which leads to all other activities. Ah, you know, ah, in pride. I'll do it my way. Well, Jesus just steps up and leaves here, goes his way. Where's he go, though? Look at verse 30, 31. Then he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and was teaching them on the Sabbath. Stop right there, eyes up here. It says, then he went down, and if you need to know the chronologically, or should I say the, the ge geography of the place, you've got Jerusalem right here, and then you've got Nazareth up here. It's actually down here. It's weird. It's down here. And then you've got Capernaum down here even further. And when it says down, any direction from Jerusalem to the, Jewish, to the Jews and in the Bible is down. Anywhere you go is down. And so when he's going up towards Capernaum, he's actually going down away from Jerusalem. Going further away from his hometown, further away from Jerusalem, the holy city, and yet it says that he went there after being rejected here. And I need you to get this. This is the heart of our master. 
This is the heart of our Savior. Rejected, scorned, attempted murder. And how does he respond? He goes and finds other people to love on. He, he finds other people to preach to. Look at verse 31 again. Then he went down to Capernaum to a city of Galilee and was there teaching them on the Sabbaths. I need you to see this. Because to be honest with you, yesterday on the bike, I had lots of people cheer and clap. Hey, Pastor Luke. You know, throwing candy back at me. They were so happy to see me, you know. And maybe they weren't happy. I don't know what that was about. But anyways, when I, saw, when the, when I went past that one group that kind of, you know, didn't like my message, I had to wrestle with my heart. Was I, was I empathetic toward them? Did I respond in a prideful manner, at least inwardly? Our, the heart of our leader, our supreme leader, our senior pastor, chief shepherd, 1 Peter chapter 5, Jesus Christ, is that when rejected, he continues to avail himself to people. He doesn't harden his heart, at least not initially. He doesn't walk away. He walks toward people. Now, I need to say this to you and to me, who are going to be rejected for our faith. Coworkers, family members, best friends will not respect you if you are going towards Jesus and you hadn't prior. They're going to push back on you. You need to have a biblical worldview. Okay? How do I treat this person that now rejects me? It's got to be a biblical worldview, not a normal worldview. A normal worldview says, you don't like me? Well, I never really like you either. I didn't, li I didn't like you first, just so you know. I'm good, you know? A biblical worldview, though, says if they hated him, they're going to hate me too. That they don't really even hate me, they hate him. And that I am to be a missionary, and I am to go and to preach and to find those who will listen. Don't harden your heart. Stay soft and let your light shine. Jesus kept sharing and leading and helping and caring because God is love. He doesn't just love people. He is love. And I need you to get this because we're his under-shepherds. We get to be ambassadors. And when we get to be ambassadors, we need to have that biblical worldview. What do, how do I respond to people that don't like South Beach Church or Jesus Christ or Christianity? Biblical worldview. It says keep shining, keep sharing, keep ministering. He goes down here and, and teaches on the Sabbath. Look at verse 32. <clears throat> and they were astonished at his teaching, for his word was with authority. Don't read that too quickly. Stop and consider this is a synagogue. It's a normal church. They've been having normal church for many, many years. And then comes a traveling rabbi. This is what would happen. Rabbis would stop by and they would get a chance to speak and share. And when Jesus stood up to share, they were astonished. The word astonished there literally means life change shock. Now, stereotypically, church is not known for life change shock. Okay, Bible reading, Christianity, Christian music, gets a stereotypical bad rap of boring, irrelevant, outdated, uninspiring, exhausting. Have you heard these terms or thought this through? These are lies from the enemy, just so you know. While it may have been perpetrated by certain people, preachers, denominations, groups, that indeed the scriptures are boring, you need to decide today. <laughs> no. The word of God is anything but boring. It is the most exciting and alive, transforming book ever to be imagined, and we have access to it. I'm not going to mess with you. You have lies in your head every single day that tell you Facebook is more interesting than the book, okay? Every day, you're like, ah, what did I say? I don't know, man. That Facebook, there might be something good on there today. I better check again. And after you check 10 minutes later, well, maybe it's good now, Ugh, you know. 
There are lies that go around that will keep you from this book. This book is the most exciting book, the most exciting, life-changing, shock, astonishment. These, look at the verse again. I'm not making this up. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word was with authority. Some of you still believe that the Bible is boring. You've picked it up, and it didn't taste good, didn't look good, didn't read good. Here's the deal. Can I give you a life hack, way to make things work for you? Here's how the Bible comes alive, is you must read it. You have to read it. You get to read it. We ought to read it as that of a book of authority. That is, when you read it, it's true. It's right. Don't wrestle with it, okay? Don't, don't, don't wrestle and say, well, I'm going to try and prove it wrong. Some of you are still there. I get that, okay? You're wrong. I just proved it. When you, though, go to the book and say, I'm going to believe it. I'm just going to read. I'm going to honor God first of all. My intellect, my mind, as a matter of fact, I was driving here this morning just praying out loud by myself. And I was just telling the Lord that I believe everything the Bible says. I told him that out loud. I said, but God, I don't know all of it. I just don't. I, I, don't know, I don't know much of it, to be honest, as much as there is. And so I confess that as my great weakness. But, Lord, it is the authority over my life. And I honored God in that. And I believe God will honor me in my life then. I remember the first time I read the book of the Revelation. You guys ever read that before? Make sure you have a friend with you. It gets scary. And I remember I was reading that book at San Beo Circle here when I was just a teenager. And I was reading that book, and I got to the part where it talks about beasts coming up out of the sea, seven-headed beasts with ten crowns or ten horns and all the rest. And I closed the book, and I, and I didn't realize it was typology, speaking of kingdoms, the sea being the world, and, and heads being kingdoms like Rome and other places. I didn't realize all the typology that John was writing with. And so as a youngster, I read that, and I closed the book, and I said, God, if there is a sea creature out in the sea... That, that Noah and the Coast Guard have not yet discovered. And Jacques Cousteau just couldn't find. I said, that's awesome. I just honored him. I said, that's awesome. I said, you're crazier than I thought. I believe it. I believe it. Whatever you say. And I believe I honored the Lord that day. And he kept leading me into further revelations. Here's my point. The word of God is not boring, but you must believe it. And honor God in the way that he deserves to be honored when you read it. And then you must respond to it in that same authoritative way. Whatever it says, I do. Whatever it says, I believe. Even if I'm broken. You could read this book and say, that didn't work. It doesn't work. It doesn't do anything for me. Well, did you obey it? No. Mm -mm. Just like if you bought a modern piece of technology and didn't follow the manual. You didn't plug it in. It didn't set it up right, and you complain. It doesn't work. It doesn't do anything it's supposed to do. Well, did you go through the manual? No. Did it my way. Oh, cool. It's a paperweight. It doesn't do anything for you. Not just you obeying God and giving him that worship and believing it and then obeying it, but this book's alive. It actually, did you know that this book actually adjusts and it changes? It, the Bible says it's alive. You can figure out your own adjectives. It adjusts and changes to follow you in your crazy life and meet you right where you're at and grab a hold of you, just like a shepherd would adjust and would move to follow you. This book's alive and active. Now, it doesn't change in its content. Don't misunderstand me. But this book will actually follow you and will read you as you read it. Did you know you could read Harry Potter until your eyeballs fall out? Okay. And it won't impact you, won't change you. It may entertain you. You could read uh, Charles Dickens or Jane Austen, or you could read Stephen King if you choose to, if you don't like to sleep at night, if that's your choice, you know, whatever. You could read all these authors until you're blue in the face. And it won't impact you. 
Here's the crazy thing. And you might be arguing right here, right now. Well, Luke, I, you don't, I, I like movies, and I like other authors, and I like other books, and so do I. Other books, authors, and movies. Okay, here's what they do for you. They take you places, don't they? Take you on a journey. Man, you can go into a magical world of fiction or, or adventure. You can go. Did you know, though, that while they can take you places, very entertaining, very, very effective, they cannot, other works, other books, they cannot change your heart and your mind. There is no transformation. Again, you can be a Star Wars fan and read Star Wars and all this, and read and read and read and read, and you'll go places, but you'll still be right where you were when you left. This book, however, I need you to get this. We're a Bible church, and Satan doesn't want you to be a Bible person. And some of you are sitting here going, yeah, I, I read it before. It's just boring now. It's just boring now. Romans is just so overwhelming. I, just, I know I should read it, but it's so boring. Listen, read it with authority. Don't argue with it and push back on it. If you read it and say, I don't know what that verse means, and I don't really like that verse, and you just took the power plug out. Of course, this didn't work. It's still true. These people, though, I mean, just, this is Capernaum, little old small warehouse church, I imagine. It wasn't a warehouse. I've actually been to this, this synagogue. It says they were astonished at his teaching, for his word was with authority. God's word will astonish you. It'll change you. Notice it says with authority. Other rabbis in that day would actually, here's how it worked, okay? It needs to make sense to you a little bit. Uh, other rabbis would show up and they would grab a book and teach on it. And rabbis didn't actually have their own authority. They had the authority of other rabbis. So they would read a portion of scripture and they would say, so-and-so says, Gamaliel says, and they would share the authority of another rabbi all the way back to the original rabbis that would study the book. Jesus showed up, instead of quoting other rabbis what they thought and said and declared, he stood up, read the word, and told what God thought of this. And I was like, whoa, dude, you are stepping into some big sandals there, telling us what God thinks about God's word. And Jesus is like, well, just do the math, think about it, you know, <laughs> just do some, follow me, don't lose track with the pastor here. And he did this with authority, and when you put yourself under the authority of God's work, I promise you, today. Maybe you're here and you're like, man, I am bored with the word. I am bored with it. I don't know what happened. The word of God's alive and active and living, and I'm bored with it. What happened? Put yourself under the authority to both believe what it says and then to respond and to do it. And I guarantee it's the, the switch will go on. The, it will start working. The technology, if you would, I, I did it right. I did it right. Put the buttons and the cords and what? You'll honor God. Your life will be great. Look at verse 33. Now things get real. We see a little picture of South Beach Church 6 p.m. service here. It says, now in the synagogue, there was a man who had a spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice saying, let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him saying, be quiet and come out of him. Stop right there, eyes up here. This is radical. Now, here's the deal. We're going to see a lot of demons and demon activity, unclean spirits, demonization throughout the gospel of luke it's in the bible it's just part of the deal it's seen it's noted you can study it i'm not a demonologist we're going to talk about it a little bit here it's probably more practical and prevalent in our culture than we'll ever really understand i'll be, I'll be the first to admit i don't see perfectly i don't know all i see through a glass dimly i cling to the lord firmly but here in this bible study jesus shows up and where jesus shows up warfare begins you and I are not ever taught to be demon hunters, okay, in the scriptures. Nowhere does Jesus go demon hunting, 
okay? Looking for the devil, looking for devils, and going to pick fights. It's just a natural, listen, reaction to when the light is turned on, okay? The bugs start to scurry and flee. Things happen. If you're a Christian, there's going to be demonic activity in your life at one point or another until you die. Okay, you don't have to go looking for it. You don't have to become a Blair Witch Project weirdo or you know, some sort of exorcist and all that. As a matter of fact, in Acts 19, I'll reference it later, there are some guys who desire to be demon hunters, and it doesn't go well for them at all. You can read it later. It's comical. Here, though, normal Bible study. Jesus shows up. He's preaching the word, and all of a sudden, somebody with an unclean spirit. Now, here's a couple points I want you to consider. At a church service, it's just a regular church service, all of a sudden we see that not everyone is actually fully committed to God and some people need extra help. Okay, Don't ever be surprised by that. We see this at South Beach Church at the 9, the 11, and the 6. Not everyone here is fully committed to God and a lot of people need extra help. Some people, even in leadership, cannot like that and get offended by that or turned off in that. Instead, we see it here Biblically, this is going to happen. This is kind of why churches exist, synagogues. This isn't the temple. This isn't that real holy place of worship and service. This is where everyone would gather to hear about God, and somebody stumbles in with an unclean spirit. <laughs> it's the same today in our churches. Not just in our churches, but here's the deal. Did you know, just a few thoughts, not everyone at church is a believer. Okay, Some are just checking it out. Maybe you don't even know you have an unclean spirit, just plaguing you, messing with you, just... Making you think weird thoughts, okay? Not everyone even in your life group is there for the same reason. You got to just consider this. There's a spiritual war going on. There are people at different levels and people with different things that they've picked up. And here we see this church service. Not everyone in the prayer circle is as committed to Jesus or even committed to Jesus yet. Not everyone who goes to summer camp wants to dedicate their lives to God. I know I went three years in a row. Not everyone who goes on a mission trip is saved. This is crazy because we think, oh, man, this is great. Listen, just put your antenna up a little bit. What's going on here? What's going on here? And I've been to many Bible studies and church services throughout my life that there were people there on the outside looking in. Now, what do we do? Us four no more bar the door. No. Get that holy huddle Bible bubble. No. No, you don't. Jesus shows up, preaches the word, people's lives are changing, this demon doesn't want to go out easily, begins to cry out, and this kind of accurate theology, by the way, this demon, through this dude, knows who Jesus is, probably more clearly than anybody else there. I just, I love what's happening here at South Beach Church. I love the demographic. Somebody asked me the other day, what's your demographic? I said, I don't know what that word means, you know. Let me, you know, I'm just kidding. What's, it, what's your demographic? I said, well, what exactly do you mean? He said, well, what's the town like there? I said, well, we've got them all. The town's, the town's pretty, pretty well balanced, and in my opinion. There's some retired people, but there's a working class, and there's a fishing industry, and there's some logging still going on. There's young families. There's high schools, and there's, it's happening. I said, it's kind of like our church. Our church has everything. I just explained all the people in our church, and we got the, the, we got the uh, old, and we got the young, and we got some wealthy, and we got some poor, and we got some mature, and we got some immature, and we got some saved and some unsaved, and we got some really down-and-out hurt people and some really well-together people that are ministering. I said, the whole thing's kind of real biblical. It's real sweet. But at the same time, it means we got to show up and be ready to all respond to God's word the same, putting it over us with authority. Now, you showed up here this morning, and you're like, I'm going to hear a Bible study. This is going to be great, and I don't want to necessarily go to war, but you're in a war, okay? It's going on right now. There are people here this morning with unclean spirits, and they're here to meet Jesus. 
And there are people here this morning, right now, at this service, at the 11, at the other services in town. And there are people here that have had unclean spirits that don't anymore, and you're here to serve Jesus. And there's a, there's a conflict going on, okay? Every single time we gather together, and you don't have to go looking for demons where Jesus is, that war begins. Now, I read to you uh, most of the story. Look at verse 35. I'm going to read a little more and then talk some more. It says, but Jesus rebuked him, saying, be quiet and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him in their midst, it came out of him, and he did not hurt him. Then they were all amazed and spoke among themselves, saying, what word, I've got that circled, is this is. For with authority and power, I've got that underlined, he commands the unclean spirits, and they came out. Verse 37, and the report of him went out into every place in the surrounding region. Now, I'm going to talk a little bit about demons today. And half the room is probably like, yeah, we need to hear this stuff. And the other half's like, I'll be outside. I'm cool. <laughs> you know, like, I'm going to go to the carnival. There's some demons over there, too. Be careful. And uh, here's the deal. The Bible, not only is it author- the authority in our lives and exciting, but it's alive and it's active, but it's also exhaustive. It covers everything. And when you read the book, study it out in a church like this, verse by verse, it brings up topics that we must study and understand. And it brings it up magically and mysteriously and miraculously. Well, today we're talking about demons. And you might be like, I don't really want to talk about demons today. And did you know that when it talks about money, we'll talk about money. When it talks about sex, we'll talk about sex. When it talks about sin, we'll talk about sin. When it talks about heaven, we'll talk about heaven. When it talks about hell, we'll talk about hell. When it talks about marriage, we'll talk about marriage. When it talks about parenting, we'll talk about parenting. It's all in here. It's so good. And here in this book, this happens today, and so we're going to study it and what Jesus does. Now, here's a quote I'll give to you from C.S. Lewis. He authored uh, many uh, books, and uh, you know some of them. One of them is a small one. It's called The Screwtape Letters, and it's a small book based on a, uh, two demons working together to confound the world and their dialogue. So if you want an insight on the demonic realm and what it looks like behind the scenes in the dark room, C.S. Lewis wrote a little book about two demons talking together about how to confound people. Here's a quote though at the beginning. Uh, C.S. Lewis said this, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race could fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. I don't have time for that. You know, I had a bad night's sleep. That's my problem. It's not demons. You know, what are you talking about? That's one ditch. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. Okay? Those two ditches. We don't want to be in either one. Excess and neglect, those are the ditches of all truth. The truth is right here, excess and neglect in anything, money, marriage, sex, heaven, hell, demons, angels, all of it, okay? Stay out of the ditches, stay on the road. The, the, the ditch of neglect in this idea of demons would be that there is no demon warfare, that there is no spiritual warfare. They don't exist. I don't worry about them at all. I don't believe in them. Just move on, pastor. You're making me feel awkward. And the devil would sit back and say, ah, this is going to be easy. You don't even believe I'm here. That's going to be cake. The other ditch that we want to avoid is the ditch of being a demon hunter, a demonologist, where you check the forecast that morning and the sun is supposed to be out and you look outside and there's a cloud and you rebuke the cloud for trying to steal the sun, you know, know, or whatever. Or maybe your car won't start and you rebuke the demon for stealing your power, you know, and everything becomes some goofy trip on, on demons and, you know, listen, careful. Careful. I believe Jesus handles this so well as he just shows up, preaches with authority, shuts this demon up, wins, and moves on. 
Okay, we can get super goofy if we become demon hunters, and we can become super dangerous if we don't believe in them at all. And uh, I think to have a healthy understanding, just that the battle is real. One of my favorite authors um, on the subject, a fictional writer, is Frank Peretti. How many of you guys read Frank Peretti? Seven of you. You're my best friends. Thank you. And uh, Frank Peretti uh, wrote a book a long time ago called This Present Darkness. And my dad actually read it to my uh, family and I. We lived in Minnesota at the time. I was 10 years old. My sister was 12. And it was kind of like the time we would get together at night. And he read that book to us. Crazy, crazy. The book is about a spiritual battle in a small mountain college town of Ashton. And we lived in Minnesota. And we moved to Newport. And seven years later, I moved to a small college mountain town of Ashland not realizing that Frank Pretty's from the Northwest and wrote that book about that town and the spiritual battle in that town. Here, years earlier, 10 years earlier, God was preparing me at least spiritually and mentally for the battle that I would go fight for 13 years in that town. I'll tell you what, God is real and he knows what he's doing and we need to have a healthy balance and understanding of what the heck's going on. And I, I want to I just end this before we even get there. I want to end this with some real uh, easy authority that you have as Christians. If you're a Christian, the Bible says greater is he who's in you than he who's in the world. Okay, the demons fear you if you're a Christian. They fear you. You have the authority of Christ. You have the Holy Spirit living in you. Okay, you are more than a conqueror. Like, you're the winner here. There's nothing to be afraid of. If you don't have the Holy Spirit in you, you have other spirits in you, period. Okay? You are inhabited by something. Okay? The Holy Spirit or spirits. Okay? Pick, pick your side. If the Holy Spirit is there, you're, you're, you're good. That house is inhabited, and you keep the Holy Spirit there. Well, now, why don't people believe in demons? Um, there's a lot of reasons they don't believe in them, um, and uh, we have to at least study them a little bit. And again, I, I don't, this is my favorite subject, but it comes up in the book today. And uh, uh, one reason why people in today's day and age don't believe in demons is because of uh, modernism and scientific rationaliz- rationalization, okay? If I can't see it, I don't believe it. You have friends like this. You believe in that stuff? Well, why don't you? Well, just, I can't, I don't know. Why would I? Why would I believe in that? Modernism, rationalism, that is prevailing. Also, another reason why people don't believe in demons is chronological snobbery, okay? This is where we are in the year 2017, bro. Like ancient histories and ancient people groups and pretty much every civilization talked about it and spoke about spiritual warfare and crazy demons and every, all those crazy, but we're in 2017. Now, wouldn't you imagine, just imagine the chronological snobbery of our culture, And the demons who plagued nations and tribes and peoples for thousands of years get to 2017, and they're like, oh, you guys don't believe in us? Oh, man. You know, and the demons got, you know, the demons are like, really? You think that just because you're farther advanced chronologically that you can just pretend we don't exist? That's fine. Good. Good for you. Good job. Good job, 2017. And uh, the third reason that people don't believe in demons is the scariest, is because people in our day and age have a high view of spirituality in the positive side, their own positive twist, and not in the negative of spirituality. There's a high, I'm a spiritual person, man. It's all good. It's positive. I'm a spiritual person. I'm very spiritual, okay? And because I'm spiritual, I'm, I'm, I don't believe in the negative. I'm just positive, whether it's in my meditation, whether it's in my spiritual yoga, whether it's in my spiritual Buddhism or Hinduism or Tao or Zen or Islam or Mormonism or any kind of spirituality whatsoever. If it's not the Holy Spirit, capital T, H-S, the Holy Spirit, okay? If people say I'm spiritual, and you might be here today, I'm a spiritual person. Like, y'all know what y'all tripping about. Careful. You do not want to be a spiritual person if it is not the Holy Spirit. I am not messing with you. Just do a little bit of study on the origins of anything I just mentioned. Okay, I'm not going to pick on one. Just go ahead. Origins of any of those spiritual groups. 
okay? And you will run for the hills, I promise you, because of this original spiritual climate that is not the Holy Spirit. And so I don't want you to have an unhealthy obsession with Satan or demons. Uh, we believe in them here at South Beach Church, but we don't uh, uh, seek them or fight them or go after them. We do emphasize Jesus. He is the authority, the power. And I don't want you to deny them or just settle for some vague spirituality. As a matter of fact, if you're a servant of Christ, you can no more avoid demons than a gardener can avoid weeds. Okay? It's going to happen. And I just need you to be aware of it. Wouldn't that be funny? Just moms, dads, husbands, wives. What's going on here? Why is it so tense in the house? Why is the business so rough? What's happening in my neighborhood? And, and, and if you're like me, your, your knee-jerk reaction is not to smell for demons. That's not my, I just don't do it that way. I, I, you know, it's my fault probably. I did something stupid. You know, it's my problem. We're having tension in the house or I did something wrong. Listen, you got to know your enemy. Here's two things you need to know about Satan. Number one, he's not equal to God. Okay, get your theology straight. There's not a good God and a bad God, and they're fighting from heaven and hell, this big arm wrestling match between Satan and God. There's not, he's not equal at all. As a matter of fact, when Satan led the rebellion, and he took one-third of the angels with him from when he led the rebellion of pride, God's like, okay, guess what? You got to go. You're out. Kicked him out. The very fact that God would just kick Satan, Beelzebub, Lucifer, whatever you want to call him, out of heaven, and he had to go just shows the sheer dominance of our God. So Satan is not equal to God at all all. If you want further verses on that fall, you can check out and write down Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28, Genesis 3, Ephesians 6, and all of the book of Revelation if you want to read more about that. Number two, though, Satan is not your only enemy, okay? We fight. We have a battle. There's stuff going on. Satan and his demons, they're not equal to God. As a matter of fact, they're limited in their locality. You all know this. God is omnipresent. The Holy Spirit is omnipresent. He is all where with all people, all times. Satan is, is, is not. He is localized. He's somewhere right now, probably messing with some buddy, Billy Graham or something, you know, messing with somebody really important one person at a time. He's got people that he delegates, demons that he sends out. They're localized. Here's the deal, though. God is not localized. He's everywhere. He's with us. Greater is he who's in us than he who's in the world. And you have equal rights to and access to the wholeness of God, just as I do. God is crazy big, crazy big. There's a war going on with demons, but man, we are the winners. We are victorious. But it's not just demons that we fight. We have three enemies. You've heard this from the pulpit before. You have the infernal enemy. That's a fire enemy. That's the devil himself. Then you have the internal enemy. That's the flesh, the old man. Then you have the external enemy. That's the world and the systems and the wisdoms and the ways of our culture. Let me just talk about those other two enemies because there's a battle. This guy shows up. It's indicated he has an unclean spirit. There are other people that don't have unclean spirits, but they've jacked up their life by following their flesh. Okay? Your flesh. Your flesh. Your flesh. In and of yourself, left to your own nature, you're bent towards rebellion and sin and pride and selfishness and hurt and all the rest. That's your self, the flesh, man, that internal enemy. And when you follow that internal enemy, you know what? Some of you, it's not a demon that's messing with you right now. It's not the devil. He's not out to get you. As a matter of fact, when the devil or the demon looks at your life, he says, cool, I don't have to worry about that one. They're messing up their whole life. They're doing it themselves. See, the demon, demons are limited. There's not enough of them to go around. And so I believe when a demon looks at somebody who's jacking up their own life through drugs or through pride or through rebellion or through sin or through lust or just uncontrolled flesh, the devil's like, <laughs> right on. Don't even need to worry about you. 
And that's your problem. That's the problem that you have and that I have. That we fight that demons will mess with me, but if the demons don't need to mess with me, I can mess up my own life. And not just the flesh, but the other enemy we have is the world, the systems of the world. Did you know that if you believe what everyone believes, if you behave as everyone behaves, you're living a satanic life right now? This, I'm not messing with you. This world is so anti-Christ. If you believe everything that comes out of the world systems, you behave the same way the world systems behave, it is satanic. <laughs> I wouldn't go that crazy, Pastor. Okay, okay. The ways of this world are contrary to Christ. Absolutely contrary. It's crazy. There's a war going on. And the Bible instructs you and me to be aware of the war. What's the problem here? The systems, the world, the craziness. Not the people. People are who we're trying to save and love on. But they're plagued by false ideas and demonic spirits and rampant flesh. What do we do? What do we do? What do we do? The word of God. The word of God cuts through all of that like a knife through butter. The world's systems fall at the word of God. The flesh that plagues you and me and others falls at the word of God. The demons cry out and agree with the word of God. The authority of God's word sets us free and changes us. And I'll tell you what, all you need to do today even as a Christian or a non-Christian or a, maybe you don't even know what's happening now is to say, Holy Spirit, fill me. I'll use the illustration of a house because Jesus did. He says a house is like our, 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 our soul. And that when that house is intact and kept clean and inhabited by the Holy Spirit, we're good. But when the doors are left open or when the windows are left up, let me just ask this question. How many guys closed your doors last night and locked them if you have them? Like, you know, you have a door on your house. How many guys would like to take the doors off the hinges and put the windows up and just sleep like a baby upstairs? Would that go well for you? Or would you be thinking to yourself, I got to lock the doors, man. So too in your spiritual life. There are things that creep in, the things that want to come in, and we got to keep that house intact and keep the Holy Spirit there to protect us from the flesh, that's you and me, and the stuff that comes up, it's just there, from the demons that want to do us in and from the world that is anti-Christ. Well, let's get back to the story. I want you to just see this because I don't have very much time to, to finish this up. Somehow this guy picked up an unclean spirit, by the way. We don't know how. It doesn't say. Okay, people want to know where. How does this, what did he do? It doesn't say. It just says he got one. Okay, And as I've mentioned, if you leave the windows open of your home, you do stuff. There's certain things you can do, certain activities. Just leave the door open. Okay, Pride, un unrepentant sin, rebellion, lust. Uh, things just, just open up the door. And all you got to do is invite the Holy Spirit back in. It's so easy. It's really brilliant as you invite the Holy Spirit back in to deal with what um, is going on in your life. Look at verse 34 again. It says, saying, this is the demon's uh, words, let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Now, you don't want to take your Christology, that is the study of Christ, from a demon, but this guy's spot on. <laughs> it's kind of kind of interesting. This demon stands up, Jesus' second Bible study ever, if you would, and the demon's like, hey, that's Jesus, the Holy One. That's, he's unprecedented. He's the one who's going to be here to destroy us. And Jesus is like, shh, not yet. Get out of here, you know, and just rebukes the guy. It's just funny to me, like the power that Christ has, the, the, the power in his word and the power in his ways. Now, I need to say this right here, lest anybody become uh, too unbalanced. It says that he has an unclean spirit. Let me ask this question. Are there people in your life right now that are uh, difficult, 
that are hurt, that are wounded, that uh, maybe even appear uh, damaged, uh, spiritually plagued, and it's not a demon. Does that ever happen? Okay, the answer is yes. There are people in your life right now that that's not a demon that's oppressing them. It's, it's, it's decisions they've made. It's decisions that have been made to them. Uh, they've been dropped on their head or they fell uh, on their head or they did something, okay? I need you to be balanced in this. Now, here's the tricky part. You can't just go around and the person's acting funny or is weird. Or is, it could be a, a mental illness. It could be a brain chemistry. It could be uh, hurt and pain due to a lifestyle, uh, drugs and alcohol and abuse, and people are just broken, broken beyond physiological repair unless a miracle intervenes. And you can, I've talked to people, this guy's a demon for sure. I'm like, I, I don't know. I don't know for sure. What you need is two things discernment and sensitivity okay it's spoken here we know what's going on here he's not mentally ill this isn't some thing this is a demon here to say and to go on record and say that your neighbor has a demon or your kid has a demon or you know listen just careful discernment is a gift of the holy spirit sensitivity is a choice of yours i want to be sensitive i don't know what's happening here the authority comes from god's word and god's ways so don't just go out and name all your coworkers demonized and stuff like you know don't get all crazy I'm, I'm right there with y'all too, okay? I need more discernment and more sensitivity. <sighs> Matter of fact, uh, one of the pastors who started Calvary Chapel Movement, Mike McIntosh, actually did pick up some demons in his pathway of drugs and abuse. Uh, he lost his mind for about three years through some uh, catastrophic events, and he was actually walking around with a hat on to keep his brain from falling out of his head. His brain wasn't falling out of his head, but he'd lost his cuckoo in his labesa, and he was crazy. And he went to a prayer meeting with Chuck Smith, and he went up on stage, and Chuck Smith just began to pray for him and quoted the verse out of 2 Timothy 1, 7, for I have not given you the spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. And instantly he was delivered from his chemical imbalance and from his satanic plague and from his craziness. And now Mike McIntosh, Horizon Christian Fellowship, one of the most influential pastors in the world. There'll be millions of people in heaven due to his ministry. And yet for three years, he was messed up. And God saved him uh, through his demonic uh, possession and through his oppression and his own physical abuse that he had endured. And it's all through how? The word of God, the authority in God's word. <sighs> Greater is he who's in you than he's in the world. That's 1 John 4, 4. And uh, when you use God's word with power. As a matter of fact, let's just see how Jesus did it. <clears throat> verse 35. Uh, verse, Jesus rebuked him, saying, be quiet and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him in the midst, it came out of him and he did not hurt him. And then all were amazed and they spoke among themselves saying, what a word is this? For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits and they have to come out. One story for your homework is in Acts 19 where the seven sons of Sceva and the Jewish itinerant exorcists, two heavy metal bands. Um, not really, but they should have been. The seven sons of Sceva, I mean, the, these Jewish itinerant exorcists, they, they team up together and they go after this one particular guy that's full of demons. And they actually go in there with no power and no authority. And they, they corner this guy with demons and they said, by the, by the, by the, by the Jesus that Paul knows... We talk about disconnected. Like we saw Paul do this, you know, and by the Jesus that Paul knows, and the demon turns his head and says, Paul, I know, and Jesus, I know, but who are you? And takes these guys and rips all their clothes off and bloodies them, and they go running through the town naked and bleeding like a heavy metal band, the same thing. Just <clears throat> and I've read that story so many times, like, whoa. A couple things come to my mind, though. This demon, I know Jesus, duh. But this demon also knew Paul. Interesting. 
I've often thought, I wonder if the demon knows your name or my name. Are we that influential? Are we that firm? Paul was crazy. He knew Jesus, and he would suffer the consequences of standing on the word of God and that authority. And these people in this synagogue that day, Jesus hears this guy crying out, blabbing and blobbering doing the, during the sermon, and Jesus says, be quiet. Get out of him. And all of a sudden, the, the demon leaves. The guy is thrown into their midst, stands up. He's like, oh, sorry about that. Didn't mean to interrupt the service. You know, he's all, all better now. And these people are looking at Jesus Christ saying, this guy, he's it. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. Through the simple word. The word. When I was 19, maybe 18, I came home from working, and I was at my parents' house at San Beo Circle, Joe and Arla in the back there, and we had a couple visiting, Marty and Artie Heinrichs. How many of you guys know Marty and Artie? Anybody? A couple of people over here, Marty and Artie. They're like 150 now. They're super old. <laughs> and they were old then, and they were visiting, and Marty had his Aikido jersey on. He just got done doing some Taekwondo or something, and, and he was really proud of himself. He said, I just learned to move today, that I can, I can get away from anybody. I can, I can break this move. And I was a wrestler. I was about to go to college and wrestle. And so he said, Luke, you know, come, come grab me from behind and don't let go. <laughs> so I grabbed this cat, this old man. He's an old man. I grabbed this old man from behind. I'm holding Marty there. And he's trying to, he's doing this stuff, you know, it's like Aikido stuff, and, you know, the hips. And, and he is working. And all of a sudden, next thing I know, we are busting into the refrigerator and into lamps. And I'm, and I don't have enough humility in me at this point to let go of him. I'm like, I'm not letting go. You are not getting away, old man. I got this guy. <laughs> Lamps fall. I mean, it was crazy. People, what you know, if, we, if they had phones, they would have filmed it. And it was, and out, at the very end, he was exhausted and I wasn't letting up. And he stopped and he said, all right, just let go. And I let go. It was done. He couldn't do it. He couldn't break free. Later on, my dad, watching this whole event, was talking to me and he said that, that a picture was given to him of spiritual warfare and this wrestling and this fighting and this intensity and he couldn't get free until he just said, let go. And when he said, let go, the battle was over. I did, I let go. And he was free and the power of God's word. My dad and I, when we pray now for spiritual battles and warfare and against demons and there's other people who've learned this technique as well. When you feel the darkness and you feel the, the damage and you feel the, the claws going in or the distance, to just stop and say, wait a minute. If there's any dark spirits here, any demons, any liars, any oppressors, any deceivers, any thieves, anything dark at all, leave right now in Jesus' name. I'm just going to ask you to go. I'm going to ask you to leave. You have no authority here. I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to be here in fullness, to shut the windows, to shut the doors, to dwell here. If there's anything dark at all, See ya, you gotta go. And immediately, by the power of the word of God, okay? I don't wanna use the word mumbo jumbo to like discredit spiritual warfare and, and spiritual battles, but I believe just a real concrete foundation, understanding who God is, who Jesus is. The demons flee. They know the word and they tremble. And all you and I need to do is have that confidence. Jesus here, hey, would you just shut up, please, and leave? To, to this demon spirit, gone, thank you. I'm right in the middle of my sermon. You know, Jesus gets back into it. It says here, look at verse 37, the last verse. I'll actually have the worship team come up now. It says, and the report about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. Let me just say it this simply. God and Satan both want to use you for their campaign. This report goes out. 
Did you know that Satan wants to use you for his campaign to destroy you? He is out to get you, to undermine you. And God wants to use your life right now in Lincoln County. He wants to use your life to set you free and to use you for his campaign, which is of life, liberty, and love. And he wants to restore the years the locusts have eaten and to deliver you and to show others his goodness in your life. The devil is here even right now. And for some of you, his goal is to keep you trapped in drugs, to keep you trapped in rebellion, to keep you trapped in sin. For some of you, the devil's goal is to keep you trapped in reading God's word without authority, to read it and say, I don't know if that's really what it means. I don't know if I need to repent of my sin. I don't know if I need to adjust. Satan's got you. You must read his word with authority. That is, it's right, I'm wrong. It's right, I'm wrong. It's right, I'm wrong. And the devil will flee. And there are demons here that want to keep you down on the ground. There are others of you here that don't even believe in this. And the devils want to just keep you happy and fat and successful and aloof. Not realizing, not understanding the battle. And then there's the Lord here who is seeking everyone. The down and outers, the uttermost to the guttermost with his truth, with his word. And he shows up to this Bible study and preaches the truth, is interrupted, delivers this man. We'll see him in heaven, guaranteed. And the battle is on today. So I'm just gonna ask you to close your eyes and we're gonna ask Jesus to clean house. And we're gonna take communion with authority. When you take this communion, you're doing so saying this. He died. He bled. And he rose from the dead for my sins. I am good. And the demons flee. And when we stand in just a minute and worship him, you're going to be declaring that he is God over you and God over all. And the demons will flee. And when you take the word with you, if you don't have a Bible, take one. Take the one under your chair on the shelf to my left. Take a Bible with you. When you read it and say, this is my new guidebook. This is the book of life. I believe it, God. God will honor you and set you free. It's what he does. So Father, in Jesus' name, we crown you as king, as author and authority, as the one Lord who knows all, as the one who's already won. We, are, we have it so easy. All the warfare of old, all the demonology we study in the Bible, Lord, we do so from the place of victory, where Jesus, you rule and reign. The Holy Spirit has been given. The doors and windows for our hearts have been ordered. They're there, ready to be installed. If you're plagued, by demons, by unclean spirits, by sin, by rebellion, by carnality, by the worldly wisdom. You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You need the Holy Spirit to enter in, to clean house, to shut the doors, to make your life secure. If you want the Holy Spirit to come in and cleanse your house, even this morning, Christian or non-Christian, you don't even know what's going on, whoever you are, if you want the Holy Spirit, just raise your hand right now and raise it high. Keep your palm open and say, Lord, that's me. Raise your hand high and say, I need the Holy Spirit to do work. And I pray against all the darkness and all the demons and all the lies in Jesus' name. And may the word of God, the truth of God prevail. And may many people be set free. May we walk in liberty and in life, Lord. May the authority of God's word be ours to stand on and to enjoy. We repent of our sin, our rebellion, our pride, our foolishness. Lord, we're sorry. You're right and we're wrong and we crown you as king and we love you. We pray against all those evil spirits. Be muted, be gone in Jesus' name.
And Holy Spirit, be here and dwell richly in truth and in power in Jesus' name. And we thank you, Lord, and may we be those who are balanced, who live our lives with the authority of God's word in Jesus' name. Be honored, Lord, as we take communion, as we celebrate the truth of what Jesus has done and who he is. We do so, Lord, examining ourselves, saying, yep, it's us who need a savior, and it's you who are he, and we proclaim your death until you return in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen.